there's really a lot that you can do with your actions and with the, the way you live your life. Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Thank you so much for listening to all of these amazing and exceptional positive imprints. I'm Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. ChrisKnoll.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. You can listen to the show from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or of course, listen from any podcast platform. Enjoy the show and get inspired to activate your own positive imprint. Your Positive Imprint, what's your PI? Well, hello. I am here with podiatrist Dr. Stephanie Parks. She specializes in the treatment of complex foot and ankle conditions, including reconstruction of the foot and ankle, diabetic limb salvage, sports medicine, and other general podiatry treatments. She's been married over 10 years, and Stephanie and her husband have four children, and each family member is involved in animal rescue missions. And I am so thrilled to be here on their ranch, Starlight Ranch, Stephanie Parks. Hello. Hi. I know. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. This is really fun. So, yeah. Oh, you'll enjoy this. The podcast is fun and and but it's also inspiring. You know, you are you are activating your positive imprints and you're sharing them and and obviously you're sharing them with your four kids. Yeah. And they're getting involved as well. So, as the listeners know, you are Dr. Stephanie Parks. In podiatry, you've kind of followed your dad's footsteps. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. It was just fun. <laughs> so growing up, I know that you were interested in other opportunities, and you turned and went about with podiatry. So what made the turn? Yeah, that's a good question. So as a child, I always, you know, I thought what he did was interesting. <clears throat> I was always interested in science and medicine and different, you know, kind of, kind of the sciences. But I was, you know, that typical kid that was like, well, I'm not ever going to be exactly like you guys. So I (laughs) wanted to make sure that I did something different. And I'm a huge animal lover. So for a long time, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I was actually vet tech for probably six or seven years and um, worked at a couple different clinics. And I loved that. But I decided that I, you know, veterinary medicine probably wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do long term. So then I started shadowing my dad and shadowing some of his colleagues that he works with. Through that, I got to experience a lot of different types of human medicine and physician, you know, different careers that they have. I shadowed a radiologist, an orthopedist, and then my dad quite a bit. I really liked podiatry in that we do a lot of different things. We treat a lot of different types of patients. So I can treat infants. I can treat geriatrics. um, I I can do sports medicine, which I like to do. I do a lot of limb salvage, like you mentioned, which is trauma and infections, basically. And we do a lot of procedures, but you don't have to. So you can do surgery or, you you know, you can be totally clinical depending on 
what you like to do. So I thought that was really neat that you can really take it in a lot of different kind of directions. So there's probably not very many podiatrists who have completely identical practices, which is cool. We do a lot of stuff in the office. So I do a lot of procedures in the office, which I think is interesting. And I like to work with my hands. So for me, it ended up actually being a really good fit and I really like it. Well, and and I'm thrilled that you are practicing here in our community. Oh, thank you. Because we certainly need doctors learning the different surgical techniques and, as you say, the limb salvages. Yeah. So that is something, obviously, it happens quite often in accidents. But you also do diabetic Mm -hmm. limb salvage. And that's not trauma-induced. That's disease-induced. Our population in New Mexico, we do have a high diabetic population. Correct. So how does that affect your practice? Are you doing more of any one thing, or is it pretty much varied? So limb salvage is probably the the thing that I do the most of. So I practice general podiatry, but my specialty is, is more along the lines of limb salvage. The majority of the patients who need limb salvage is not my trauma patients. It's usually the you know diabetic or people with vascular disease, which isn't always diabetes, but often is. So... that's probably 75% of my practice. And then 25% is kind of a mixed bag of general podiatry, foot pain, different kinds of things. We have quite a lot of it in New Mexico. So I think most podiatrists practicing here and and across the country see a lot of it. But everyone has slightly varied interests. So in order to do a lot of limb salvage, you have to be comfortable doing wound care and you have to enjoy doing wound care. Um, But I really like that. I make a huge impact, which I really like. When you help someone, you really help them. You save their leg and often their life, which is great. Absolutely. It's a huge, huge deal. Yes. And so, you know, I have patients that have two legs and it's because we intervened early and we did something aggressive and, and, and it worked. So, which is excellent. So that's, that's really cool. But I think the thing I like most about it is that I see these patients often and frequently I get to know them very well and their families. So that's really cool that you really get to build a relationship with your community and you get to build a relationship with people that you, you don't just see them once for something, fix their problem, and then they go away. You, you really get to know them. And a lot of them, you know, I know their, their kids and their grandkids have come in with them before. And that's the feel-good side of medicine that we don't always get to have a big, you know, as big a role as we would like. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because doctors don't have that time yeah. to build a relationship. And I think anymore, we need that relationship, yes. especially if it's a serious condition or something that might affect your, uh, well, your walking or uh, your independence in some way. I just feel that the doctors, especially if they're in a large clinic, I think that that is missing. It's a fault for not being able to reach out. As you said, you see a patient and they don't just leave and walk away from your practice. And I think that's commendable on your part. I think that there's a need for maybe walking a patient through some of the mental hardships of things, and they don't know where to turn. I mean, I think first and foremost, to have good health care, you know, we have to humanize medicine, and that's how it always has been. But I think we have been increasingly reliant on technology and other things that just have have made it harder and I think doctors are having to get more creative to to maintain those touches and stuff yeah I agree it doesn't need to be so stoic yeah you know and and so thank you for that Mm -hmm. you're welcome and so anything else about your practice that you'd like to share I I think in general podiatry is, is a really cool 
subset of medicine and it's not always super well known. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in a career in podiatry or you need a podiatrist, certainly reach out and I'm always willing to take people who want to shadow. I teach residents as well. I'm just thrilled that you decided to remain here in New Mexico and, and serve our community. And you are not just serving the people here as a podiatrist. You are also serving animals through an animal mission and rescue, animal rescue mission. Your kids are involved. I admire that you are being patient and bringing them on your journey of this goodwill towards the animals. So let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first let's talk about the ranch. You yeah. have the ranch in order to help you with this animal rescue we do. mission. We, we love the ranch, yeah. Starlight Ranch. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to do animal rescue? So I've always been a huge animal lover. From my toddler years and on, I've always had pets and I've always wanted all different types of animals and I always did the zoo camps and I had all the zoo books I was that kid that would like you know run around on the playground pretending to be an animal (laughs) like I was always just really (laughs) into animals so I I started volunteering when I was probably 15 or 16 at the Humane Society here in Albuquerque and I ended up wanting all the dogs basically and at that point yeah. I only had cats and my parents were like oh gosh okay here she goes oh my gosh all these dogs don't have a home what is going on why are all these dogs here as a kid I don't think I really understood much about what happens to animals when they don't have homes and different places animals end up and how they all end up in those situations so I think that kind of got me interested in in rescuing animals and then through my work as a veterinary technician, I, I would just see lots of different situations with lots of different animals. I maintained volunteering when I lived in Arizona and, and different places at different humane societies. That's kind of what got me passionate about it. And once I started volunteering, I realized what a huge need there was for volunteers, for facilities, for funding. And then homes. I think homes is the big one. We have to have homes for these animals. I have also been riding horses since I was about six. I used to show quarter horse and was involved in all, all sorts of different horse activities growing up. And kind of the same thing, I didn't realize that horses sometimes don't have homes. As, as a kid, I had my horse and that's kind of what I was exposed to is just my world of it, my corner of that. But when I started doing work with the humane societies, I realized, oh my gosh, there's horses that also don't have homes. And once I got out of high school, I, I, I didn't have the ability to have horses again for a while because I was in college and I moved around and I studied abroad. But once I was able to get horses again, that got me into large animal and horse rescue. So my ho- first horse back into the horse world was from a rescue network. And so we have kind of carried that through in not just with horses, but we have rescue llamas and all kinds of different stuff. So that's what got me interested in it is I just, I realized there was a need. I I think what drove me initially to volunteer when I was 15 is I wanted to play with the puppies because (laughs) my parents wouldn't let me have a dog. And I was like, well, fine, I'll go play with all these dogs. And (laughs) then that's kind of what, what started that. And once I got there, I realized what a need there was. So yeah. Wow. So volunteerism inspired you. It did. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And what time permitting, as I go through different stages of life, I, I do more or less volunteering depending on that. But we always do something in, in some sense, either through donating or through giving time. For medicine, I, I went on medical missions. I didn't know you went on medical missions. Oh, they were so cool. Yeah. Some of the coolest stuff I've ever done. We went to Antigua, Guatemala, and that was really cool. And then we went to Sinaloa, Mexico. 
for Well, we're going to have to yeah. do a second podcast oh, because yeah. if you're willing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, great. Were, that, those were some really cool experiences. So. And But serving the people. And that is, that's your worldwide imprint there. Now, with the animal mission, you mentioned llamas. Yeah. How on earth do you rescue llama? And yeah. why did it have to be rescued? I know, the poor llamas. I did my residency in Denver, and I was um, doing some work with a dog rescue out there. And the lady who owned the dog rescue lived in a little bit of a rural area outside of Denver. And so she had some acreage, and someone dumped these two llamas on the streets of Denver. Literally? Literally dumped them. Oh, my gosh. This is when hay prices were starting to go up back in maybe 2012-ish. I mean, they've been going up steadily. I think people were having trouble feeding a lot of their livestock and that's that's been a consistent thing over time these big animals are just they they eat a lot of things and if they have vet bills and and they're not always cheap to house and to feed so someone dumped these guys on the streets and there were two of them a male and a female i'm not sure if animal control called her or what but she ended up with these two llamas and she had the acreage to take them but she didn't really have livestock she's a dog rescue hey you you know about livestock you have I had a horse at this time oh you have you have a horse like do you want some llamas and of course me who loves all animals I was like absolutely I want some llamas sure especially they've been dumped I can't believe that wow I know so and I think people just you know just open fences when they can't take care of stuff sometimes we had them fixed and she well the the male and she she's probably pregnant we can't tell because llamas I guess if she was pregnant she was too far along to ultrasound and get a good image and they didn't think that uh they'd be able to palpate the fetus and stuff so they were like probably pregnant have no idea when that's gonna happen so I was like oh okay so we got her home and two weeks later she had a baby wow (laughs) yes we drove her from Denver to Albuquerque because this was right when we were getting ready to move down here and we drove her from Denver to Albuquerque they moved down with us the two llamas did and uh yeah the third llama her name is Princess Emily the baby so yeah Princess (laughs) Emily was born here in New Mexico and uh, yeah, they've been really fun. We've had them, um, I don't know, seven years. They are entertaining characters. We really enjoy having them. They're not overly friendly because of their history, but their halter broken. You can handle them if you need to, but they just would rather you didn't. But they do want to find out what you're doing at all times. And they're very interested in the happenings of the farm and new truck or anything new comes on. They want to see what it is. So they, you know, they, they come over and want to look at everything and be involved in peripherally watching and seeing everything that's going on. They do kind of a path around the property. Wow. So the two llamas caught up in an urban area. Yeah. Petrifying. I know. Yeah. We see it more. We do see horses getting out or being let out. We see just all sorts of hardship for animals and small family farms Are there subsidies for the small farmers, or is that why they're closing? Do you know? So there are financial benefits like tax credits, and there are your property taxes substantially lower if you have a farm income that's verifiable. I don't know if there's different subsidies. We produce milk and honey, but not um, crops or anything like that. So we haven't done anything aside from the tax credits with ours. The the property tax credit is, is pretty... It's a pretty steep discount, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the issue that comes in with large animals and and people not realizing that large animals need rescue like small animals do. But also horses, for example. They're not necessarily a farm 
expense unless they are used to plow a field, which is not the most common use for horses these days. So you can't really justify them as a farm-related expense in a lot of cases. And they need a lot of food, and they need a lot of veterinary bills, and they need a lot of space and water. So you're running into an animal that has for a long time been a pleasure animal that is treated more like a pet in the eyes of the government and then doesn't really qualify for income. Like cattle tend to be more easily verified as a farm expense for that. You end up with animals that people have a hard time paying for and they're big and they have big continual needs and they need homes. So Thank you for enlightening sure. us on that. So you have the two llamas, Mm -hmm. and it started your actual hands-on, your own rescue mission here on Starlight Ranch. Yeah. With the two llamas now being three, of course. Yeah, that's so you kept the third. Mm Mm-hmm. And how do the kids get involved? Yeah, so the kids really like all the animals. Um, They don't do a whole lot with the llamas, per se, because they're not super handleable. But the the kids really like the horses. And then we have pygmy goats as well. And those are, and pigs. (laughs) Those are all really fun. We just go out there as a family together and do the farm chores together and barn cleaning. What do you use pygmy goats for? You can milk them. We are not currently milking any of them. We kept them as pets. So the kids play with them and learn from them and and take care of them and Mm -hmm. feed them? Yeah, and they're just, they're hilarious. They're pure entertainment and love. And the kids obviously absolutely love their company oh there's there's so many things i like about having kids in this situation i I think it's great for their upbringing overall it teaches them so much responsibility and then i think it teaches them where food comes from as well because we do produce our own food i think for kids to have an understanding of oh this is where eggs come from this is the process it takes to get eggs to my table or oh that's milk this is cheese this is butter these all come from this and this is how it happened just that understanding is good for kids to have an appreciation of that and really valuing where all of that stuff comes from and not wasting it. We've rescued some chickens. Most of the ones we rescue are not the ones that currently lay eggs just because we hatch our own eggs for, for our egg stock and we added new bloodlines and the milk cows are not rescues. We did have to purchase those. To get a, a well-trained milk cow that has good udders and is milkable, I have not seen those in the rescue situation regularly. Not to say they couldn't happen, but for well, our need for that, we yeah. ended up purchasing too. And why pygmy goats? So six of the 10 were rescues. We're available to do that. We, we are a home. So yeah, so we have, uh, we have 10 goats now. We've capped our, our goat. We're, as it says, we're, done, we're, t- we're capped at goats right now because uh, we have two youngster, young goats and they are just so mischievous. And oh, are, what do they do? What are oh, some things they do? So they were bottle raised. Kids, the kids yeah. love to bottle feed. The goats are so cute. And the pygmy goats are like the size of a chihuahua when they're little. So oh, they're, wow. oh, they're so cute. Yeah, they're, they're really adorable. And their antics are hilarious. But because they're bottle raised, they're super friendly, like obnoxiously friendly. And so they jump on your back. And the, the kids kind of spoiled them to that when they were like little, little. And they were like, look how cute. And I'm like, no, no, don't let them do that. <laughs> no, not a good, bad habit, bad habit. But the, mostly they just, they, they want to be with you 100% of the time, which is super cute. But they walk between your legs and they try to push into doors and push into the barn ahead of you. 
which you don't always want them in the barn. So then chasing these goats around <laughs> and they're big enough now, 30 pounds. So it was not a big deal when they're little and you just hoist them up and pick them up and carry them back out of the barn. But now you're like, okay, I have to go get the goats again. And it's just, it's harder to go get them, but um, they'll nibble on your, any kind of zipper or button on your pants. They try to eat it. So they're just constant like hilarity. Did you have this plan to have a ranch and have the kids grow up in this lifestyle? I kind of always did, yeah. From my earliest kind of mutterings, I was like, I'm going to have a ranch when I get older. Because I was so into horses. Horses was the big thing as a kid. As soon as I could say the word horse, I was asking to ride and asking for horses. So that, I, I always said I wanted a ranch. I didn't know I'd actually do it, which is, so it's it's very cool that we were able to, to realize that. But yeah, I, I didn't always know what that would look like, but I knew that I always wanted to have animals, and then I always wanted that to be a big part of my life, and luckily, I met my husband, who also loves animals. It was always important to me that our kids knew, understood the boundaries of animals, and how to respect, and how to care for them, and to be respectful of them, and, and understand the food process and everything. Well, I think that's very important, and they're learning quite a bit, because it's not easy work. Yeah. It's difficult work, but... Also, as you said earlier, responsibility, and there's great, wonderful uh, responsibilities that they're learning here. Yeah. And, you know, they don't get to sit and watch TV when the cow has to be milked and so on on a ranch, plus allowing that time for contemplating. Yeah. It's included in that, which is kind of a bonus. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I sit on the hammock and I just watch the cows walk by. I watch the goats follow the dogs through the pasture. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's so relaxing. It's really fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Starlight is a beautiful ranch. Thank you. Very beautiful ranching. Thank you. We love it. Yeah. yeah. Now, your horses, you had mentioned earlier that you had a rescue horse. And do you still have this rescue horse? And what was the story behind that? So a Tucker. Yeah. So that was my first horse getting back into horses as an adult. We don't still have Tucker. We did end up finding him a different home only because Tucker, it turns out, really wanted a job, like a fast paced everyday job. He had one of those minds that just he wanted to work. And that's great. We had to find him a home where he could do that because I ride at max twice a week. And during the winter, I ride less than that. And so he was just getting bored, basically. Um, some horses like to sit at pasture and just kind of hang out. Other horses really don't do well just doing nothing, and they need to have something to put their mind at, at work. And so we found him a job where he had a job. So. And his rescue, so you said Denver. He wasn't walking around Denver, was no, he? No, yeah, we don't really know. So I got him through contacts I know with the Colorado Horse Rescue Network, which is a huge rescue network up in Colorado, and they're fantastic. It's a great organization. He was really, really underweight when he was given to her. His original story was not super well known. He was taken out of a bad situation, and there wasn't a lot more information on the specifics of it. But he was severely underweight when he went into the program. So he was uh, rehabilitated, and then by the time we got him, he was fat and happy. And I had him probably two years, and he was great. I loved him. So we are a home that fits their personality and vice versa. So, um, And that's, I think, part of the thing with Animal Rescue is, you know, you can't always keep all of them 100% of, of the time. Not. Of course not. And, you know, Point feel of. bad about it. But, mm -hmm. yeah, um, he, he went to a nice home where they were able to give him a, a daily job. What do you see in the future as far as animals go? Because you have your practice. Yeah. Which the practice, plus you have the ranch, plus you have the animals that you're rescuing, and you have the kids that you're raising. Mm -hmm. You have a huge 
plate that is full, yeah. but you're able to do it all, which is quite inspiring. And so what do you see as far as animal rescue or animals in the future for Dr. Stephanie Parks? So I would always love to continue to do animal rescue, at least in the capacity that we can on this farm. And we'll have to see what that looks like in the future, because we have enough space that if I can convince my husband, we can probably get... <laughs> he just um, needs to listen yeah, to the podcast. Just, just get a couple this. more things here and there. I think while the kids are this young, they're middle school and under right now, we do twofold things. We have our rescue animals and then we have the food producing side of the farm. So we, um, we hope to always keep both sides of those going and hopefully have our, our pets and all of our personal animals be rescues or something supportive of that. And here's one of your kids. This is AJ. He's eight. Do you want to talk about some of the animals? We're talking about the goats and the farm. You want to tell, you want to talk about how you helped raise the pygmy goats? What do you have to say about the pygmy goats? They're fluffy and cute. They're fluffy and cute. What did you think about raising them? Did you bottle feed them? Yes. Oh, and can you tell us a little bit about the bottle feeding? They would just uh, chug it. They would chug it? <laughs> did you have to hold them and cuddle them? Sweet well, vengeance. What is that? Um, <laughs> it's something you learned. <laughs> yeah. So we have baby pigs. But one of them died. Oh, one of them died. Sickness. Sickness. And that's yeah. something else that they're learning is that you lose. Yeah, they... we lost three dogs. Three dogs. When you're talking about some of the things that your kids learn, what is one that you feel is very important on their education with regard to the animals. So I think animals, a lot of animal relationships mirror our relationships with humans. So if, if we're able to respect an animal and look at their body language and respect what they're telling us, then that really translates for children and for, for all, all adults into how, how you can move that into your human relationships. Things like consent, for example, teaching young children about, with our new cat that we have, for example, when he likes to be touched, where he likes to be touched, where is okay to touch him, where he doesn't like to be touched. Just kind of establishing those ground rules of look look how he's acting right now, he doesn't like that. He's telling you no. And starting at a young age and, and letting kids understand that, oh, okay, the cat doesn't like that, cool, let's not do that. And especially when you're working with the bigger animals like horses, body language is huge and learning to calm yourself and take a step back and read that body language with the horses especially because we have uh, multiple horses and they live in a herd so um, teaching the kids okay watch her ears watch her tail what's she doing is it safe to go near her right now and obviously we don't let them out without us but um you know kind of teaching them to watch that body language and look at her face, look at her eyes. Is she happy right now? And those things you have to do to work with horses. It's just horse 101. People who've been working with horses for a long time kind of just understand that. But if you can spell that out for people, that I think goes a long way to in, in helping kids to understand body language and facial you know, cues. Yeah, absolutely. If you learn to look for that stuff and you learn like, oh, you see when her face is wrinkled like that, she's not happy. Then they're like, oh, and that really translates. And then being able to quiet yourself enough to have that interaction with that animal, I think it's really an important skill for kids to learn. As they get older, they can become better listeners with humans absolutely. also because they're listening and reading that body language. Yeah. And the tone of voice. Yeah. So that that definitely helps to inform them 
about the situation they might be in. Yeah. Or to avoid situations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephanie, the last part of the show is always your last inspiring words. Ooh, last inspiring words. I think the thing that inspires me in my animal rescue stuff is just to always look at each thing you're going to do. Like, oh, I think I'm ready for a new dog, or I think I'm thinking about getting X, Y, or Z, or how can I help whatever cause, and and try to look at what's the best possible way that I can do this. How can I help the most people and things by doing this? And, you know, how can I maximize the benefit that that's going to be? Because there's really a lot that you can do with your actions and with the, the way you live your life. So even if you aren't able to have a big ranch full of rescue animals, there's a ton of different stuff that you can do that you can, you know, kind of make those choices just more impactful. So we always try to make sure, especially when we're rescuing dogs, how can I make this adoption, you know, what dog is it the most at risk right now? How can we kind of get the most impact with our action there. We choose typically kind of at-risk breeds or, you know, like black dogs tend to be a little more at risk. So we try to just make every choice as impactful as we can. There's a lot of little things that you can do and even if you can't even take any animals at all, which is completely fine, I mean everybody's situation is different, you can donate your time, you can donate supplies, things like blankets or old cat kennels or different things that a lot of rescues need. The horse rescues are always in need of hay, old tack. There's a lot of things you can do to just make every action that you do have as much impact as possible. Yes, and you are so right about that. Stephanie, Dr. Parks, this has been absolutely wonderful and your world completely opened up with your own volunteerism as a child. And that in itself is inspiring and you've kept at it for all of these years and now you are modeling that for your children. I, I hope so, yeah. It's been it's been great for me, so hopefully we can pass that along. Thank you so much for sharing your positive imprints here on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Yes. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? <laughs>